you have a Bible, open up to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11, we are going to be covering chapters 11 and 12 today. And as soon as you get there, you're going to see that half of that passage is a list of names. And I've preached on this subject before. No, I will not be reading all of them. Um, but you should. <laughs> Out loud. Uh, just for practice. I want to start with a question, and I want to make this very clear. This is a rhetorical question. Please do not answer it out loud on behalf of yourself or anybody else. Are we crazy? Some people do not follow directions. That's a whole nother sermon. Are we Christians, religious people, people that go to church on Sunday morning? Are we crazy? rhetorical? (laughs) Think for a moment about what we believe in. Think about some of the Bible stories. Noah, God sends a flood over the whole earth. He saves one man and his family and a boat full of animals. Crazy. Moses, God leads his people out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, parts the waters, and they cross on dry land. Are we crazy? Skip ahead, New Testament, Lazarus, dead in the tomb, couple days, Jesus shows up, calls to him, and he gets up and walks out of the tomb. Are we crazy? Couple weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. Foundation of our faith. Without this, we are nothing. Jesus, the Son of God, born in a manger, that's Christmas, I know, lives a perfect life. Miracles, teachings, dies on a cross, buried raises from the dead. We believe this. Are we crazy? And then we try to live out our faith as Christians. We try to hold on to this truth and live in such a way that reflects the fact that we believe this. We have morals and ideas as Christians that are out of line with, out of sync with our culture, our world. Even it's getting to the point that some of the things we believe the world is saying is evil and wrong. Are we crazy? Sunday morning, you could be anywhere. You could be out enjoying this fine weather. (laughs) You could be sleeping in. You could be watching a movie. Are we crazy? We try to live out what this ancient book says. We read its words, we trust in its words, we spend hours every Sunday and hopefully throughout the week combing through the words of this book, God's word to us, believing it, trusting it, trying to live it out in our lives. Are we crazy? You know, it really depends on who you ask. Many people in the world would say, yes, you guys are nuts. People that don't believe in Christ, that don't believe in the word of God. They would say, you're crazy. This doesn't make any sense. You're out of your minds. Maybe you've got family members like that, co-workers. You're crazy. But there's a difference if you ask someone who believes, who has faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord, who has faith in the word of God, who believes there is a God who created us for a purpose and sent his son to die for us, that person should look at us and say, no, you're not crazy You have faith. 
You see, faith makes all the difference. Faith looks at a situation that might be difficult and says, I believe there is more going on than just this. And it lives in a way that is consistent with what we believe outside of that situation that might look crazy to people in the situation. We believe there is more going on. Something that is real, that we are holding on to, that might be contrary to contemporary or personal experiences or situations. We have faith. I overheard my wife teaching my kids this week that we do homeschool. and They were talking about, I think it was Magellan. Might have been Gama, one of those people. Think about what it would have meant to sail around the world. Back in a time when you didn't even know if that other side even existed. Imagine being out in the middle of the ocean. You cannot see land at all. Nothing. There's no point of reference except stars at night and your compass. And you're just going in that direction. Every day, get up, trim the sails, wash the deck, keep on going. You have no idea how long it's going to last. And they kept going. Why? Because they had faith in something that was out there that they could not see. This week I saw a video. Four women that rode across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, in answer to the question, are you crazy? I would want to answer that yes. They rode, and then I I was digging into it, and it turns out it wasn't just them. It's like a race. There's a race of people that row boats across the Atlantic Ocean. For over six weeks, they get up. Every two hours, they row. They try to rest for a little bit. They get up. They row. No sails, no motors, no support boats, just them rowing across the ocean. (laughs) Crazy, I know. But as I was watching this and she was describing what she went through and what it took to keep going, I thought, that's faith. She would pan the camera around at what they see. They didn't see another single soul. They didn't see the other racers. That's how far spread out they were. That's faith to say, all I see is water. A rational person would wake up and say, well, I guess that's all there is. Just water. Might as well just give in and float. Faith says, I believe there's something more, and I will keep going. That's faith. We are looking here in Ezra and Nehemiah at this truth that God is at work. God is at work in our world. It takes faith to declare that and to trust in that and to believe that it's true. Sure, there is evidence. (coughs) Excuse me. There's evidence that we can look at. But it takes faith to apply that evidence to the situation and say, I believe there is a God who is at work. And faith is more than just saying, I believe in something. It is reorientating or reorient. I don't know what that word is. It's changing our life. (laughs) That one was not in my notes. Never use that word again. Um, It's changing our life and aligning our life with this thing that we say we believe in. It changes our day-to-day priorities. Now, a little bit of background to the series in case you're just joining us. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah are the last of the historical books in the Old Testament. They wrap up the history of the Old Testament. Yes, there are Bible books after that, but they go back to the history before. Okay, just to let you know. Ezra and Nehemiah. The account of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament is that God calls these people into a relationship with him. 
He saves them out of Egypt, brings them through the uh, the exodus, through the wilderness, through the Red Sea. He talks to them and gives them his law and builds this relationship with them. Establishes them in the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. This kingdom, this gift that he has given them. Over many, many years, many generations, they are unfaithful. And God warns them, come back to me, come back. Come back or I'm going to remove my hand of protection. And that's exactly what happens. And they are taken into exile by a foreign nation. And they are conquered. And Ezra and Nehemiah picks up the account of God bringing his people back to the promised land. Back to that place that they had lost. That they had given up because they were not trusting in Nehemiah in particular tells the account of how they come back. Nehemiah leads them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, this capital city that had been demolished. It's in rubble. It's so bad that when he shows up, he can't even get his horse through certain areas in the city. He has to dismount and go on foot. That's how bad it is. It's a wreck. And they rebuild the walls. But now in this place in Nehemiah, as we come to chapter 11, there is this big question, who is going to live in Jerusalem. And you might think, who cares? Dave, that was a long time ago. Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. They're going to take a step of faith. And I think by looking at the step of faith that they take in regards to Jerusalem and living there, we learn a lot about faith and what it looks like in our lives. Because I think we have to ask the question, were they crazy or did they have faith? Because to to the world around them, moving into this rundown city in the hopes of fixing it up was crazy. But this is exactly what they choose to do. Let's start by looking at how they looked beyond the situation. Their faith causes them to see the situation, acknowledge it, but look beyond it to something more. Nehemiah chapter 11 verse 1 through chapter 12 verse 26 is a list of names for the most part. It's a list of names. It is a list of names that chose to go back into Jerusalem and set up their houses there and live there. Now remember, this city is in ruins. They fixed up the wall, but the account of Nehemiah is that I think they were so busy fixing up the walls, I don't know about the rest of the buildings in Jerusalem. I don't think it was in great shape. So they're choosing to go back into the city that is a wreck. The other thing that's interesting is that if anybody, any other foreign nations came in to attack them, guess what they would attack first? The walled city. These people are moving into a target. The most dangerous place to possibly be. Jerusalem is a difficult place to live at this point. It is not comfortable. It doesn't make sense. And it is even dangerous. And it's at this point in Nehemiah that we enter into the text. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. That's a nice way of saying I'm glad it's you and not me. Good job. You guys move into that city. I'm glad it's not me. And I love that it starts with the leaders. The leaders say they will move back into the city. They will take that hard first step. 
And then they cast lots. This was kind of like choosing numbers or choosing straws. It was a way of choosing people and relying on God to make that choice for them. And that phrase, uh, the people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. I'm not sure if that was other people or if this was the people cast by lots. But either way, these people are choosing to move back into this city. Now, understand the significance of Jerusalem. God made promises to the Israelite people. And Jerusalem is kind of a focal point of those promises. It is the capital of the nation of Israel. God promised them a land, the promised land. God promised them a kingdom. He promised them a line of kings. He promised them the ultimate king, the Messiah, that would rule and reign in perfect righteousness and justice. Jerusalem is this focal point of God's past promises to them, his current work for them, and his future promises to them. All of these are focused on Jerusalem. That's how important this city was. So when they make the choice to go back into the city, they are declaring, we are trusting God for those promises. We don't see it now. This is a wreck, rubble, ruins. But we are trusting in the promises of God. They are looking beyond the situation. Faith trusts that God has been at work. Faith trusts that God is at work right now and that he will continue to be at work into the future. And faith follows what God is doing, even into hard situations. And that's exactly what they were willing to do. They look at the present feeble state of this city and they say, I will go there and I will live there because God is at work. It is a step of faith. A lot of people look at being a Christian as crazy. It doesn't make sense. How can you believe in that? How can you hold on to that in spite of everything that's around you and everything that you see? And sometimes as Christians, we feel that pressure. Let's just give in. Let's just change a little bit to to accommodate what we see. Let's match what we believe to what we see. This is the opposite. Faith says, I will hold on to what I believe, no matter what I see. I will hold on to what I believe and the truth that God is at work. But we can't just stop with saying that we believe, saying that we trust. Faith also has to impact our lives. In verses 27 to 43, they're going to have a worship service. It's a commissioning, much like we just commissioned a new elder. It's a commissioning, a dedication of this wall that God helped them to build. And they're going to have this beautiful worship service. But what we're going to see is how their faith impacts their lives. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are not just adding one more thing onto our life. We're not just adding to the list of priorities in our life or our list of hobbies and pastimes. We are saying all of my hobbies, all of my pastimes, all of my identities, all of my priorities, all of it now falls under the authority of the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changes everything. And in Nehemiah 27 to 43, we see evidence of this as they dedicate the wall. There's a couple examples here of how their faith impacted their life. Look at 27 to 30. At the dedication of the wall, this is chapter 12, 
the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, from the area of Geba and Asmaveth, from the uh, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves, Ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. They're about to have a worship service. And what they're going to do is divide the people into two choirs. And they're going to start at one place on the wall of Jerusalem. And one choir is going to go one direction and the other choir is going to go the other direction. And they're going to sing and play instruments. And they're going to walk around these walls and join together back at the temple. Such a beautiful picture. Also, I just want to say, occasionally Christians throughout history have said, you know, it's wrong to use instruments in worship. You shouldn't use instruments. There it is. They did it. I'm not saying our instruments are the same, but the guitar was kind of like a flute or or like a lyre. Just saying. It's in scripture. It's another sermon. Okay. They're having this worship service, but look at verse 30. Look at what they do to prepare for the worship service. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. This idea of purity is one of the ways that our faith has to impact our lives. It changes us. We are now not just existing for ourselves, we exist for God. Our highest priority is not our own desires, but him, his righteousness, his holiness. And a byproduct of that is this purity that we must have in our lives. Removing sin, removing the traces of sin, getting rid of things that are out of place with the work that God is doing. Purity is one way that faith impacts our lives. As Christians, we need to take these things serious. We can't just go on living the way we want to live or living the way that our culture says. It needs to change us. Then in verses 31 to 43, Nehemiah divides the people into two groups. And look at verse 31. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. And then he goes on to describe the rest of the leaders and how they're going to split and walk around. But I love what he said. I had the leaders go up on top of the wall and assign two large choirs to give thanks. To give thanks. Here they are. They built this wall. Good job, Israelites. We just built a wall. Isn't this awesome? We're going to celebrate what we just did. That's not what they're doing at all. They are giving thanks for what God has done. This is another way that faith impacts our lives. We must be people who give thanks. If faith is looking beyond the situation, faith also looks beyond the cause and effect of I did this and this happens. And it recognizes there is a God over all of it. He is the one that is sovereign and in control. He is the one we are submitting to. And ultimately, he is the one we are living to worship and we are to give thanks to him. Does our faith impact our lives in such a way that we are people constantly giving thanks to God? Faith acknowledges what God has done, often in very difficult circumstances, and gives thanks to him for it. Look at verse 43. The choirs go around the city. 
And it says, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Did you notice the number of times the word joy or rejoicing was used? I count four in the NIV in in just one verse. They are rejoicing. This is another way that our faith must impact our lives. Sometimes as Christians, we are the miserable ones. We are the complainers. We go on the internet and turn on the news and we post things on public, you know, social media. And we're just, oh, everything's falling apart and everything's horrible. And I think, wait a minute. Faith should lead us to rejoice, not to complain. If faith is looking beyond the situation, let's get our eyes off the situation and put them on our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's already won the situation. Let us rejoice. Wow, things are hard now. It's not to ignore what's going on. It's not saying there's never a time to be sad. There is. But even in that sadness to say, but I will hold on to this, God is not done yet. He's not done yet. And I will rejoice in that. Faith gives us a different perspective on life. There are times a life is bleak. I appreciate, Jim, that you prayed for Ukraine. I saw some pictures of things going on in Ukraine. It's horrible. Bodies lying in the street. Murdered. Executed. It's horrible. Rejoicing does not mean just look at that and say, oh, just put on a happy face. It doesn't really matter. I've seen some Christians take that as well, that path. That's not what I'm talking about. Rejoicing is, that's horrible. That's awful. And we will pray for those people. And if we have opportunity to help them, we will. But it acknowledges that is not the total picture of what God is doing in this world. We have a Savior who died on the cross and conquered sin and death, who saves those who believe in him. And he is coming back and there will be justice. And as hard as those images, and I can only imagine actually living in the situation is, I can rejoice that that is not the end of the story. God's justice will reign. Faith impacts our lives that by trusting that we have something deeper, more lasting, more meaningful than just the current situation that we're going through. And because of that, we can and must rejoice. So here at the dedication of the temple, we see these three impacts on their lives. Purity, giving thanks, and rejoicing. They're not just going through the motions of worship. It is impacting their lives. But faith also looks beyond the present situation. It looks to the long haul. Now, this is a really interesting passage, and I wasn't sure how to approach this. I want to read it for you. It's really boring. I'm just going to warn you, okay? Listen to this. Verse 40. I know a pastor's not supposed to say that about uh, Scripture, but listen to this. This is like very normal stuff. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes from the fields around the town. They were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, and did also, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the command 
commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. If you ever been to a church business meeting, there are some things that are just kind of like, huh, that's really boring. Budgets to go over, plans, procedures. Why are we making motions and seconding? Why? Why? It's just really boring stuff. What's interesting here is that everything in those this paragraph from 44 down to 47 is them making arrangements to plan for the future for the worship at the temple to continue. That included keeping storehouses stocked with food so the priests had something to eat, making sure that they were ready to bring in the sacrifices. This is normal, everyday work to just keep their temple running. It sounds so boring. But here's what I find fascinating. This group that is expressing faith and trusting in God says, let's make sure we can keep going in this. Let's make plans to keep this going. And I think this was actually somewhere that Nehemiah was uniquely gifted in. He strikes me as a pretty detail-minded guy. He says, let's make sure this keeps going, that it's not just a one-day celebration. The temple was the place where they offered their daily worship to their God. They provided sacrifices that were an expression of their dependence on Him and their worship to Him. Once a year, they had the Day of Atonement that symbolically erased their sins that they had committed throughout that year and allowed them to continue in relationship with their God. It was their focal point of their relationship with God. And they said, let's make sure we keep this going. Let's not neglect this. I believe this shows that this was not just some momentary decision to have faith in God. This was something that they understood must impact their future. Their faith needed to continue. Maybe you made a decision to trust Christ at one point in your life. At some point in life, you're all excited to trust Him and to follow Him and to keep going in your relationship with Him. But let me ask you, do you have plans to continue? Do you have plans to keep digging into his word? Keep getting involved in a church? Keep coming back? What changes do you need to make in your life to arrange your priorities in such a way as to continue in your faith with Jesus Christ? I want to conclude with a picture. It's a picture you're going to have to imagine. Imagine you're walking along a dusty road in a land that has seen great hardship. A lot of war, a lot of difficulty. And you hear something on the wind, a strange sound, and you're not sure what exactly it is. As you get closer, maybe you veer off the path a little bit to get a little bit closer to see what this sound is. You hear that it is singing, people singing. You walk toward the sound. You come around a hill and you look up at the top of the next hill and up there is a city that looks like at one time it was kind of impressive, but now it looks a little embarrassing. The wall looks like it's been rebuilt, but it's not all that impressive. And what you hear and you now see are groups of people walking on that wall, singing at the top of their lungs. 
And as the sound becomes clearer, you understand that what they are singing are words of joy and thanksgiving to their God. What are you going to think? This ragtag group of people living in their feeble city, singing at the top of their lungs with joy and thanksgiving? Maybe they are crazy. Maybe they've just lost it. And I'm just going to keep going on my way. Or maybe, just maybe these people know something you don't. Maybe they see something you don't. Maybe they believe in something that you don't and that you've been missing in your life. And maybe, just maybe, you'll delay the rest of your journey and go to that city and say, what is going on? God was at work in Nehemiah's day. People were changed because of it. They weren't crazy. They had faith. And I wonder if people hear and see the singing and rejoicing in our lives, even as our world crumbles around us. And maybe, just maybe, they'll come up to you and say, why? How can you sing? How can you rejoice? And we can tell them about our faith. It's equally possible that they will look at us and say, you are crazy and walk away. That's okay too, because we will keep on pointing people to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are times all of us will wonder, are we crazy? What is all this for? Maybe we should just go with the flow. And Father, in those moments, I pray you would lock our eyes on Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Because as we've been focusing on you at work in Ezra and Nehemiah's time, how much more so can we now, as believers this side of the cross, look to the cross where your Son died in our place? And to the empty tomb where he rose, conquering sin and death. God, may we be people of faith. And if that makes us look crazy to this world, then so be it. We will hold on to faith. May they see in our lives our aligning of our wills and our actions with you. So that we are purified by your word and live differently from the world around us. May they see in our lives that we look beyond the situation and we are trusting in you. That we live with rejoicing, knowing that there's more going on and that you have a plan, no matter how bleak the situation. And Father, may we continue in that faith and live in such a way that we put practices into our lives. Maybe coming to Sunday school or continuing to attend church, going to Bible studies, picking up our Bible on our own, continuing in our faith even in the mundane aspects of our lives, because we believe that you are more important and we want to continue in our faith with you. And Father, it is a cautionary tale to look at what's going to happen in the next chapter in Nehemiah when so much of what they've committed to and dedicated themselves to, they are going to walk away from. And maybe there's some here today that are experiencing that in their lives as well. 
And I pray that they would hear the call of mercy and grace to come back. That you welcome them with open arms. You have done everything necessary and possible for them to be saved and in a right relationship with you. And you want them to come back and to continue in their faith with you. Father, in a moment, we're going to celebrate and remember through communion what Jesus did on the cross. I pray that you would help us to truly focus our lives on that important and eternal truth that we know you have worked in this world in a way to save us from our sins and offer us eternal life. And we thank you for that. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.